If you got your Bible, go ahead and open to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we are in part three of our series. Uh, we are talking about how Jesus is our everlasting Father today. Part three, Jesus is our everlasting Father. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we find our foundational verse. What we've been doing is, is journeying through this verse and looking at these different names of Jesus. We just sang about these names, uh, but we're looking at the specifics of what each means, the implications of them for us. They're not just a fun list to sing. They each have deep significance about who Jesus is in our lives. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And so this isn't just a story for others. This story is for you. This story is for me. Jesus the Messiah isn't just for Israel. He is for all of us. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. If you've been with us, we've looked at the context here in Isaiah 90, uh, chapter 9, the, the people of Judah, which is the southern kingdom uh, of the Jews, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they are in a dark season. They are in a rough place. They are ruled by an evil king, King Ahaz, uh, and they're on this, this kind of roller coaster between good and bad kings, uh, and, and they're on the, the, this rough season. Man, where, where things don't look good. In fact, things are going to get even worse before they get better. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying we're going into captivity. Uh, we're we're going to be separated from Jerusalem, from the temple, from our place of worship for 70 years. This is not great news. This is not the thing that, that these people want to hear. Most of them who hear this, they're, they're going to die before they get back. Uh, in fact, many of them aren't even going to make it to the captivity because it's not going to happen instantaneously. But the, the, they're going to die in captivity, the vast majority of them. They're going to die in, in Babylon. They're going to die in Persia. They're going to die in another kingdom, not where they are from, not in their homeland. This doesn't seem like great news. But Isaiah says in the midst of it, God's got a plan. In the midst of it, God's doing something, and I'm sending a new king. You've got a king who's evil, a king who's wicked. You've had good kings and bad kings. I'm sending a different kind of king who the entire government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Week one, we saw how he is our wonderful counselor. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and check that message. <coughs> Second week, uh, we saw how his name would be called Mighty God. How he is mighty for us, and he is mighty in us. He is mighty to save us. He is mighty. Amen. Today, we're going to see how he's our everlasting father. Say everlasting father. Everlasting father. Kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It just feels, it feels good to say he's our everlasting father. Next week, I think, might be my favorite one in the series as we look at how he is the prince of Peace. We see Jesus in these variety of roles, these very specific names and titles that are assigned to him. Dwindle uh, already re uh, kind of referred to it, but on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at how he's Emmanuel. Emmanuel is not in this passage. It's actually two chapters earlier, Isaiah chapter 7, that he's prophesied that he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we'll dig into that on Christmas Eve. Um, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Hebrew 
meaning of these words, not just settling for what English tells us. Week one, wonderful counselor, we discovered some much deeper implications in those words. Last week, mighty God, we saw it was pretty straightforward, pretty direct, like this is pr uh, pretty much exactly what it means in the Hebrew. Today, we'll see uh, a little bit of each. Um, everlasting father, first we get everlasting. Everlasting is the Hebrew word odd, uh, and odd means perpetuity, forever eternity. Uh, it, it means that this is something that starts and does not end, that it goes to eternity past and eternity future. Uh, it, so it's, it's pretty direct, pretty much exactly what we would expect with this idea of everlasting. Some of the translations actually, I think, say eternal father. Uh, so everlasting, eternal, it, it speaks to his eternal nature. Um, talks about the permanence of Jesus's reign. They asked for a king years before this. They had judges. God was the king over Israel, and they weren't satisfied with a God they could not see, or a king they could not see. So they, hey, give us a king. Uh, and so God gave them a king, and they just realized that, hey, having a, an earthly king isn't all that it's cracked up to be. We wanted somebody that we could see. We wanted somebody we could touch. We didn't know they were going to oppress us. We didn't know they were going to lead us astray. They were going to walk in wickedness and foolishness. Uh, and so now God says, I'm sending you a new kind of king. I'm sending you one whose kingdom will never end, whose reign will be forever, um, giving you someone concrete, sustainable, something everlasting. This is really encouraging to me, especially in seasons and moments that don't go the way that I want them to. It's amazing to me how easy it can be to distract me or to steal my joy. Like, like sometimes I'm so disappointed in myself at how, how little it takes to get my eyes off of where they need to be uh, and, and how something as simple as, as a head cold and I get real frustrated. Right? Like, like, oh, man, woe is me. Um, I've, I've got some stuff in my nose. Life is over. Uh, like, like, sometimes I'm a, I can be a little bit of a drama queen. Uh, I, I can be a little, little too discouraged too easily. And Jesus' everlasting character reminds me that he's not defined or constrained by my momentary discouragement. That, that the fact that, that I can be swayed so easily just reminds me that he is never swayed. That he is not knocked off of the prize. He keeps his eyes focused on the Father's will. He is steadfast when I am inconsistent. Yesterday, I had the amazing opportunity, Twin Oaks uh, Funeral Home, which Miss Tracy Filson is the, the funeral director over there. She invited me uh, to come to a service unlike any I've ever done. They did a, a memorial service for those who have lost loved ones in the past year. Uh, and they asked me to come and talk about mourning and grief through the holidays. Because what the holidays oftentimes do is they shine a spotlight on what is missing or a spotlight on who is missing. Uh, and I've never seen an intentional service for those who, man, you're going through your first Christmas time without this person. We want to be a blessing to you. I thought it was such, a, such an awesome opportunity and an incredible ministry to be a part of. What I love about Jesus is he isn't thrown by the little things that throw us, and he's not even thrown by the big things that throw us. See, losing a loved one, I, I talked to families that, that they had a loved one pass last year on December 23rd. Talked to another family. They lost somebody. They lost their dad on December 26th. She said he made it. He held on through Christmas so that we could have Christmas. He made it to the 26th before he went home. Talked to 
a girl, a teenage girl named Jordan, about 15 years old, who lost her mom in February. And this girl was just weeping. Just broken. Mom's been gone for 10 months, but it's like she just left yesterday. I'm grateful for an everlasting father who steps in and is a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless, a friend to the friendless, a friend of widows and orphans who steps in even when we have legitimate reason why our eyes get distracted. Man, this poor girl, I'm just broken for her and for her family. And I know there are many, many others like her, many others in that situation. Jesus is our everlasting father. In fact, he, he, it means he goes before us into situations. He saw us through them before we ever got through them. He already had a plan to get us to the other side. And so whether you're in a silly moment of frustration like me, me this morning or a deep moment of pain like Jordan this morning. I need you to know that Jesus is everlasting. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not thrown off course. His plan does not get destroyed or damaged because of the brokenness of this world or this life. He is still for you. He still has a purpose for you. He still has fulfillment for you. He still has healing for you. He still has restoration for you no matter what life brings your way. He is everlasting. <coughs> Excuse me. He is our everlasting father. The Hebrew for father is pretty direct, except perhaps in this context, it is the Hebrew word Abe. Abe. Abe means a father or chief, an originator or producer. This word appears in the Old Testament 1,215 times oftentimes in genealogical form, oftentimes talking about so-and-so was the father of so-and-so who was the father of so-and-so who was the father of so-and-so. So it may be in a verse multiple times, boom, 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 boom. He's the father. It's a very biological term. It's a very earthly term. However, in the Hebrew, it does have some other connotations. It can mean a chief, an originator, or a producer. Now, out of 1,215 times, only 10 of them does it translate differently? Um, in my opinion, this could have been number 11. Um, I don't know that that father is the most accurate representation of what the prophet is trying to convey here. Uh, and I'll tell you why. This presents for us a theological problem. Jesus is God the Son, not God the Father. Uh, and so when we start worshiping him as everlasting father, that can get a little confusing. It can get a little muddy. It, it can get a little chaotic for us. Now, there's a couple things you need to be aware of here. First of all, in the Old Testament, the people who would have received this prophecy, it wouldn't have been nearly as confusing or muddy because the Old Testament doesn't really talk about God as father. It's the New Testament that talks about him as father. It's Jesus who presents him as the father to us. Jesus comes and gives us the doctrine of the Trinity. He talks about the connection between him as the son to the father and to the Holy Spirit and how these three work together. And so in the Old Testament understanding, they didn't so much see God as father. They saw him as God. He sits on the throne. He is ruler. He is creator. He is supreme. He's in charge. He's God. They didn't really have a perception of him as father. So this is one of the first introductions of any aspect of the, the Godhead being represented as 
father. But again, I don't think father is probably the best possible perspective here. Um, And and we'll get into a a little bit of it. First of all, let me speak to this theological problem. Um, Let me say what this is not teaching us. Everlasting father does not teach us the doctrine of oneness. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the idea of oneness, uh, but it is a, a teaching in certain denominations that there is no trinity, uh, that they, they would call it, there's another word for it, modalism, uh, that Jesus is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that he shows up in different modes. He wears different hats, and that's why the Bible refers to him in these different ways, and we would reject that as, as an incorrect uh, idea of who God is. Some would go to the point of calling it heresy or blasphemy. Um, I don't know that I would call it that because I, I think you can believe in oneness and still believe in Jesus. I think there, there will be Christians in heaven. There will be people who, who are there who misperceived Jesus in this way. Um, so, so I don't know that it's like, man, heresy, kick him out of the church. Um, but I do think we want to be as clear as we can. Biblically, the Bible is very clear about the Trinity. Uh, Jesus specifically is very clear. I'm not the Father. I'm in the Father, and I'm connected to the Father. We're one. Uh, and I had somebody asking me this question uh, about the Trinity recently. Like, how do I understand, man, the oneness of God? Uh, and so one thing that spoke to them that maybe will encourage you is, is I talked about how in the book of Genesis, uh, it tells us that a husband and wife become one flesh. Uh, now, we know if you are a husband or you are a wife, you know that you're still two. Uh, there, there are two minds. There, there are two ideas. There might be two bedtimes. Uh, there, there's almost assuredly two methods of washing the dishes or loading the dishwasher. Uh, so, so one does not mean you are the same person, but you are joined together. There's a oneness there. There's a unity there. From God's perspective, you are now a unit. You are one. Uh, And I believe that's the same concept for the Trinity. Obviously, the Trinity does it better. Uh, Marriage is a reflection uh, and an imperfect reflection because we don't always walk in unity. We don't always walk in oneness in marriage. But, But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are always unified. They always are on the same scene. They always see things the same way, but they are still unique individuals, unique persons. And I know this is really hard to wrap our brain around. Uh, And it's probably not what you came to church expecting to hear about today, but I think it's an important thing for us to address, for us to understand the Trinity. Um, Everlasting Father also does not mean that this passage is about someone else. What some scholars would argue is that this is not a passage uh, referring to Jesus, but it's a passage teaching us, uh, prophesying about Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king of Judah who is to come. Uh, and so some have argued that, that Isaiah 9, 6 is characteristics of Hezekiah, but the reality is that's impossible when it's the everlasting father. Uh, Hezekiah is the king. A king was often referred to as the father of his people, the chief of his people in that day and age, especially in the Near East and the Middle East. That was a very common terminology. So like, they're just talking about a new king that's coming. Hezekiah is going to come, and he's going to fix the problems of Ahaz, and things are going to get better. But I, I don't think that's really accurate uh, either. I don't think Everlasting Father is telling us this is about a person because you can't get away from everlasting. That, that word is very unique, and it's one that has never applied to a human uh, in Scripture. Uh, it is only reserved for divinity. Uh, he is our everlasting Father. So what does it mean? 
What do we do with this? Well, I want to give you this morning four implications of Jesus as everlasting father. Four things that we can take away this morning. The first one is this, and I loved this when I got to research it and and began to, to dig into it, is that Jesus is the father of eternity. If, if we take the father word here literal as father as opposed to using as chief or leader, um, the implication is that he is the not just everlasting father. In other words, everlasting isn't a modifier for father, but father is actually the modifier for everlasting. Both of those words in the Hebrew are nouns. Uh, and so they're using father as an a- adjective to describe what he does to eternity. Uh, let me give you a couple of quotes on this from people who are much smarter than I am. Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the greatest uh, theologians of Britain, put it this way, uh, and he's very colorful in his language. He says, no language can more forcibly convey to our minds the eternity of our Lord Jesus. Nay, without straining the language, I may say that not only is eternity ascribed to Christ, but he is here declared to be the parent of it. Can you imagine? You're not just eternal, but you're the parent of eternity itself, the father of eternity itself. Uh, He says, imagination cannot grasp this. I can identify with that. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around it. He says, for eternity is a thing beyond us. Yet if eternity should seem to be a thing which can have no parent, be it remembered that Jesus is so surely and essentially eternal that he is here pictured as the source and father of eternity. Jesus is not the child of eternity, but the father of it. Eternity did not bring him forth from its mighty bowels, but he brought forth eternity itself. Independent, self-sustained, uncreated, Eternal existence is with Jesus, our Lord and God. I don't know about you, but like my brain strains at that concept. How how do you father, how do you author eternity? How how is that even possible? How do you think it up? How do you create it? I love that Jesus is beyond my understanding. I'm so grateful I don't serve a God that I can fully fathom and fully comprehend because if I did, I don't think he'd really be God. I don't think he'd really have authority. I don't think he'd really have all that I need. I love that there's something beyond me. I love that there's something beyond my understanding, beyond all that I can grasp and the everlasting nature of Jesus. In fact, the fact that he's the father of all that is everlasting that's a little bit beyond what my brain can handle. Maybe it's why I have a headache this morning because I've been pondering on this and thinking on this and it's not working, but I think it's pretty awesome to see Jesus in that light. Let me give you a, another theologian's perspective on this. This is from Warren Wearsby. Uh, he says, if his name is wonderful, then there will be nothing dull about his reign. As counselor, he has the wisdom to rule justly. As the mighty God, he has the power to execute his wise plans. Everlasting Father does not suggest that the Son is also the Father, for each person in the Godhead is distinct. Father of eternity is a better translation. Among the Jews, the word Father means originator or source. For example, Satan is the Father, the originator of lies. So if you want anything eternal, you must get it from Jesus Christ, because he is the Father of eternity. 
Now that I can grab a hold of. If you have eternal desires, if you have eternal hungers, if you have eternal longings, there is one place and one place only that they can be fulfilled, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. If there's something in you that desires that connection to that lost loved one that, that has passed away, not lost as in a spiritual sense, but lost in the physical sense, they're not here anymore. If there's something in you that desires to be with them again, there's only one who's eternal who can provide that. If there's something in you that desires something bigger than this world, greater than this world, if you've ever felt like, man, I was destined for something more, I was built for something more, if you've ever looked around at the brokenness and the lostness of the world and felt disappointed and discouraged by it, it's because God has imprinted eternity in your heart, and eternity is imprinted in your heart so that you turn to the Father of eternity. Because there's only one who can satisfy any eternal desire. Jesus is the father, the author, the originator of eternity itself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Second implication for us today. Jesus is the founder of a new kingdom. He's the founder of a new kingdom. What does father mean? Well, think of it in American terms. We've often called George Washington the... The what? Founding father, the father of our country. Okay, he is one of the founding fathers, but he is the often called the father of our country. Now, does that mean as an American, George Washington is your father? Nope. Doesn't mean that, right? You, you do not biologically originate from George Washington. Uh, maybe some of us in this room did, though I doubt it. I feel like you probably would have shared that before. Cindy's raising her hand in the back. Okay, we got a descendant of Cindy, uh, of George Washington. We got Emma in the room. Okay. So we got some George Washington blood. We'll ask him later if they have wooden teeth. We'll get to that. Uh, but um, just kidding. Uh, George Washington, the, the, the father, the ancestor of Cindy and Emma, not the founder or ancestor of the rest of us, right? But he's often seen as the father of our country, as the general who, who brought us victory, as the first president. He's the father. He's created it. And so Jesus is the father, the founder of a new kind of kingdom. The Israelites had a kingdom. The kingdom of Judah had a kingdom, but it was a broken kingdom, which much as I respect George Washington and our founding fathers, America is a broken kingdom. We, we got flaws. We got failures. We, we got things that don't work the way God designed them to be, even though I think we've got a better system than just about anywhere in the world, and I'm so grateful for the blessing of being an American. There's still something in me that longs for something better, and that something in me that longs for something better will never be fulfilled in an earthly kingdom. It will only be fulfilled in an everlasting kingdom. And so Jesus comes as the father, the founder, the originator of a new kind of kingdom. It's not like anything we've ever seen. It's not like anything we've ever tasted. Now, again, this is 700 years before Jesus is going to show up on the scene and thousands of years before this spiritual kingdom will fully be enacted where Jesus comes back to earth to rule and reign and we actually get to physically be part of the kingdom. Right now, we're spiritually part of the kingdom. Right now, our responsibility is to bring the kingdom down, to spread the kingdom, to build the kingdom. But, but we know that even in church, right, church is the closest thing to the kingdom of God. There's still brokenness in the church. We still miss it in the church. We still screw it up in the church, right? Why? Because Jesus is not physically here ruling and reigning. When Jesus comes, there's going to be no more church hurt. There's going to be no more brokenness from church. There's going to be no more church failings. There's going to be no more church leaders who fall. There's going to be no more hypocrisy, all that stuff that, that sometimes is unfairly described to the church, but is oftentimes fairly described to the church. That's not going to be a thing anymore. 
because the kingdom is going to be pure and righteous and ruled with the only one who can rule it correctly, which is Jesus. He's the founder of a new kingdom. He's the father of this new kingdom. Third implication is Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne. Even though it's a new kingdom, it's a kingdom that's been foreshadowed by the kingdom of Israel, specifically not just under Saul's reign, who was the first king of Israel, but under David's reign. David, God made some promises to David that the Israelites are longing for, that they are looking for. I'm going to give you just a, a couple examples, one into this point and one into the next one. 2 Samuel 7.16 puts it this way. This is the prophet Nathan receiving revelation from God for David, about David. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure how long? It's that word everlasting. It will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 62 just had a Sandlot movie night. And the thing I always think of when I hear that word forever is forever. If you've seen Sandlot, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, his kingdom will reign forever. Forever. It's actually repeated in the verse here. Your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. He's coming forever. See, David's throne didn't seem like it lasted forever. In fact, for the whole nation of Israel, David's throne lasted two generations. It lasted through David and Solomon, and then it was ripped away. Ten, ten tribes were ripped away because of the sin of Solomon, because his son did not choose to, to rule correctly. So it didn't last very long at all. That's a short forever. Two generations. God was foreshadowing something that was going to come through David. That David was going to be the ancestor, the father of Jesus. That Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming through David, and there will be a kingdom that lasts forever. It's not going to be David's kingdom. It's not going to be David's throne, although Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne, but it's a whole new kingdom. It's a whole new thing. And so for those hearing it, they would get the implication here. God's going to restore David's kingdom. They were broken over the absence of David's kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of Judah continued the line of David because God had made promises to David. And so they are, they are still under the rule of David's descendants, even though this descendant is evil. Ahaz is evil. He's not representing David the right way, but someone is coming who will. But even that line ends. Even that line is coming to an end a few generations later, where if you go to Jerusalem right now, there's not an heir of David sitting on the throne. They don't have a king. They don't have a descendant of David on the throne, so it seems like this promise was broken. The only reason it seems like it's broken is because the promise had spiritual implications rather than physical ones. It's just like what we saw in the book of Genesis. God says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, they didn't physically die, but they spiritually died. God says, I'm sending you a kingdom through David that will reign forever. And we look at it, and it's like, man, David's kingdom ended a long time ago. Well, Jesus is going to fulfill every promise that was made to that kingdom. He's the rightful heir. The fourth implication that we'll get to today is that Jesus' reign will never end. It's not really an implication so much as a direct statement, but I feel like it needs to be included. His reign will last forever. First Chronicles chapter 28, we see this promise repeated to David. It's actually now repeated through David for Solomon. It says, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, God said to David, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts. He's the one who's going to build a temple. 
For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom, Solomon's kingdom, forever, if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. So this promise of a forever kingdom is repeated, not just David, Solomon. God works generationally. Did you know that? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who promises the, the sins of the fathers will be passed down to the third and fourth generation, but the blessings of the fathers will be passed down a thousand generations. We serve a God who works generationally, and we don't like that because as Americans, we want to believe that everything is about me and that I'm going to determine my own fate and my own, my own destiny. But the reality is the things we do will echo generationally. The choices we make will echo generationally. God has created it and designed things to work this way. And the good news is while my sin and my brokenness will be passed down three or four generations, which is scary, the blessings of righteousness will be passed down a thousand generations. What that means is you're walking in blessings from people whose names you never heard of. You're walking in blessings from people whose pictures you've never seen, whose lives you've never conceived of. Can you imagine going back a thousand generations? Now, obviously, all of us are not descended from somebody who was a believer a thousand generations ago. In fact, I don't think we've even gone a thousand generations from Jesus. But, but there's blessings in your past. There's blessings in your history. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. He's everlasting. And so he can apply to me the blessing of if I have a, an, a, a, a predecessor, if I have a forefather from 400 A.D. who followed Jesus, he can still apply his credit to my account. He can apply his blessing to me, even though I don't even know the guy existed, even though I don't even know that that woman was a, was a prayer warrior. I have no conception of their life, but I have a God who transcends time, who forever and so he says I'm blessing you not just for your sake I'm blessing you for so and so's sake I can't even pronounce their name I don't even know that they existed but I serve a king who does he is the king forever forever and because he's the king forever he doesn't get thrown off by the momentary frustrations and disappointments of my life. He doesn't need me to wake up cheerful and joyful. He doesn't need me to be excited for Christmas. He is just going to be himself regardless of what happens to be going on in my generation. He's not thrown off by it. He's not caught off guard by it. In fact, he even says, if you have a generation where sin abounds, my promise is my grace is going to abound even more because it didn't blindside me. I wasn't unaware of what was coming for your generation. I put you in your generation for a reason for such a time and place i knew the wickedness that would be around you but i knew the blessing that would surround you so much more because he's the king who's eternal he's everlasting he is not defined by what's going on in my day and age he transcends it and that should be very encouraging if you're in a dark season today Jesus went into that season before you, and he's already come out the other side. 
He's already charted a path. He's already blazed a trail. He's just saying, follow me. I'll get you through it. It may hurt. It may be discouraging. There may be a spotlight on an emptiness in your life right now. But if you will trust me, I've got something for you on the other side that is unlike the pain of today. I've got something on you on the other side that's something that your mind can't even grasp. You can't even conceive. The Bible says that no mind has seen nor has I heard the things that God has prepared for his people, but he's revealed them to us by his spirit. I can't even fathom what he has for me. He just says, trust me. Not that he's created every pain or caused every problem. I think in most cases he hasn't. I think there are some cases where, yeah, he's up to something. He's trying to teach me something. And that temporary frustration is so insignificant compared to the eternal glory that he's taking me to that, that it's worth it to go through that. But I think most of the time it's just the brokenness of life. Most of the time it's just the, the result of, of sin, whether it's my sin or somebody else's sin that, that has brought this stuff in. Disease was brought into the world because of, because of sin. Death was brought into the world because of sin. Frustration and addiction and habit were brought into the world because of sin. But Jesus is leading us past it and leading us through it. In fact, he defeated that sin on my behalf. Because he is the father of eternity father of a new kingdom, the leader of something that looks completely upside down to our nature and our understanding. But it's not that his kingdom is upside down. It's that ours is. In our brokenness, in our fallenness, we've gotten things twisted. The enemy comes to pervert and to twist things. And so when we look at God's kingdom and it seems so upside down, it's not that it is. It's that we're looking from an upside down perspective. And so Jesus has come to set wrong things right. He's the everlasting father. Amen? Amen. And then next week we get to see how he is the prince of peace. And if there's anything that generationally we need right now, we need the prince of peace. We have the most unpeaceful generation. I'm not just talking about war. I'm talking about the lack of peace in our hearts and our minds. Is, is at historic levels. It's at levels that, that have never been seen before. I think there's some biological reasons for that. There's some cultural reasons for that. There's some practical reasons for that. There's also some spiritual reasons for that. But regardless of the source, Jesus says, I'm the fix. I'm the prince of peace. I've come to reign with peace in your life. I can't wait to dig into that with you next week. But today I want us to see Jesus is the father of the everlasting, the father of eternity. The last implication of that, and I didn't put this on the screen for you, but let me say this. He's the father of eternity, which means he has the authority to invite you to it. If he's the father of eternity, he's the only one who can say, why don't you come into eternity with me? And he paid the price for you to go to eternity with him. He came and he lived a perfect life worship team wrote such a beautiful song to illustrate this. Man, that he would come and take my place. That he would bear my crown of thorns. That he would be the sacrifice for my sins. That's not just a good song. It's the message of eternity. He's the everlasting father. He's the one who invites you to eternity with him. And I've got good news. He's not reached capacity. 
there's still room for you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, if you haven't received his invitation, that invitation is still good today. You didn't miss the RSVP deadline. You have the opportunity to receive what the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, has done for you. So online and on site, if you would, bow your head.